I'd say the safest amount of debt is to have zero debt. Yes. That's that's of the course. safest because you have zero risk because you own everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't owe anyone anything. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson. And on this episode, we're going to continue with answering some questions. We haven't done this in a while. So last episode, we covered a few and we're going to cover some more today. And who knows, maybe we'll do another one after that. But we love doing this because I believe listening to questions and getting answers is a great way for us to learn. So That's right. let's dive in, David. Cool. Well, Leo, the first question comes in and it says, what is a safe level of debt to have? Mm. What is a safe level of debt? And let me just ask you this question, Leo. Um, what's a safe level of C4 to have? Explosive. <laughs> or what's a safe level of fire to have? I mean, like, you know, if you're to have an actual... I think I know where you're going with this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Leo, what is a safe level of debt? And and I would... Okay, I'll just say this. I'd say the safest amount of debt is to have zero debt. Yes, that's that's the course. safest because you have zero risk because you own everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't owe anyone anything. And then I begin to think through me and, and I, I said C4, that's a little explosive. Uh, but there is a time and a place and a certain number of experts who handle C4 for a living mm-hmm. and, and they use it and they do good things with it. So yes. um, I, let's go back to the fire example. W- what if you're... Uh, um, a little kid, how much fire is safe for a child to play with? Yeah. None. None Like, I mean, none. No. (laughs) Maybe under adult supervision, are they allowed to toast marshmallows in the campfire? Right. Maybe. With your assistance. With your assistance. (laughs) Maybe by age eight or 10 or 13, I don't know, uh, they're allowed to hold um, the lighter to light candles for a birthday cake. You know, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, you can hold the candle and light another candle. Um, And and then maybe by the time they're a teenager, they're allowed to create a small campfire in the backyard under adult supervision. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as you grow older, you have access to more flammable materials, more gas and more lighters. And, you know, so there's a maturity and an understanding of how the world works that you don't just hand a little kid a matchbook and some flammable liquid. Uh, so I think that's where I would start because it's, it's a pretty straightforward question, but I think it requires more of a philosophical answer. What What do you Not think, only, Leo? Yeah, I, I love where you went with that because it is it's based on maturity, and I don't mean age. I don't mean anything other than financial maturity. And realize that debt can create some very very bad situations. Uh, any of us who have had debt and have fallen under that burden and stress that comes along with it, and the consequences, is not something we ever want to experience again. So. It seems like something that is not harmful when you have options, but it can very well be. So to answer that question is, what is a safe level of debt? Honestly, when when I read that question, I thought, well, are you talking about how much credit card you can bu- manage in your budget? Uh, you know. So again, I, I, I'm the same way with David. I'd say no debt is better than any debt at all, but it's always based on, can you actually make the payments? Is it safe? Are you on the ragged edge? Are you spending beyond what you're making? Personally, I guide people to not use consumer debt, credit cards, those kind of things, and roll those balances over because it just robs too much of your income. Mm-hmm. Why pay that interest just because you don't have the money set aside to buy the things that you want to buy? It just seems a bit childish. So 
since we're moving toward being mature financial managers, uh, I would say the answer is no debt at all as far as consumer debt's concerned. But there is value in buying a home and putting a, a sizable down payment, hopefully about 20%, and then borrowing so that you can be in a home for the next 10, 15 years until you pay that mortgage off. No, don't go to 30, go to 15, go to 10. Mm-hmm. But but that's a good thing. Now, again, th- I think this question was asked more of how much can I handle? And I think the typical answer is if you look at the financial industry and the way the bank looks at it, it's like as long as you keep it between 30 and 40% and no more of your income, then it's okay. Well, no. Yeah. I mean, if you if you had that much debt, believe me, you'd be stressed out. So that's what the way I would enter it and the, you know, just kind of get down to the basics is do not carry consumer debt. It's just not beneficial for you, period. Mm-hmm. Other types of debt, it has to match and it has to fit your budget. So if you're going to buy a house, make sure that that payment, including the expenses that go along with the housing, are never more than 30% of your income. If you have a higher income, over 100000 then that should be more in the 28 to 27 to 26 to 25%. So again, this is about managing your finances so that the bulk of what you're making is working for you, not against you. Right. And debt will do just the opposite. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just throw out a few examples because, you know, I said that the safest amount of debt is zero. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's unwise to utilize debt from time mm-hmm. to time. No. So I'm just saying, what's the safest? Like it, they asked, what is a safe amount? And I went with the safest. But let's talk about different safety levels. Um, you're buying a car. If you buy a brand new car fully on debt with maybe a small down payment, but fully utilizing a loan and debt, that's not safe. And it's not safe because the car goes down in value as soon as you drive it off the lot. And if an accident were to occur, you would owe more than what it's worth. Um, if If you couldn't make the payment you would owe more than what it's worth. Mm -hmm. And so you'd be stuck upside down in a vehicle. That is not a safe use of debt. Uh, Now take another example. You buy a $5,000 car um, and that's, you know, used and you put $1,000 down as a deposit and you borrow $4,000 to pay for it. Well, if you owe $4,000 on a $5,000 vehicle, you're probably going to pay it off at the same pace that it depreciates. So if you ever had to sell that vehicle to pay off the debt, you most likely could. We call that a sure way to pay. We call it surety. And I believe that that is a safe amount of debt. Mm -hmm. So $4,000 on a $5,000 vehicle is probably safe. Um, $10,000 of debt on a $15,000 vehicle probably safe. Yeah. Uh, so, so, but $30,000 of debt on a $30,000 vehicle, probably not safe. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so there, so there it is with vehicles. Let's talk about houses. Um, and this is very interesting, you know, different markets is going to have different level of risk. Uh, buying a house with zero down and a hundred percent debt, that's not safe. Mm-mm. It's risky. Uh, the only way that somebody, they talk about experts handling C4 explosive, the only way that can make sense in somebody's portfolio is if they were a real estate uh, investor and they had set up separate LLCs to buy different homes and they put that home under an individual limited liability company so that if it goes bankrupt and something goes wrong, it doesn't affect their personal finances. Right. But that's a very unique, very specific, very 
um, you have to have certain skills to understand how that works. And then even then the, the, the lender is not going to loan you a hundred percent because right. they know it's too risky. Well, yeah. And with investment loans for real estate, you yep. have to put at least 20 for 20 exactly. down. So <laughs> that's required. You it's can't required. buy a home without 20%. Right. So I would say if you were trying to do a hundred percent deal in some way by getting like two different loans from two different sources to where it's a hundred percent leveraged, it's unsafe. It's unwise. Um, when you're looking at your personal residence, I think I would say safe is when you put 20% down and you still owe 80%, but you put 20% down in the vast majority of situations. A, that meant that you had to save for a long time because you had to get 20%, yeah, which of a, that's not easy to do. A $100,000 house, that's 20 grand. A $200,000 house, that's 40 grand. It means you had to learn to save, which means that you're a little bit more mature in your management. And then B, um, if the market goes down and you have to sell your house, you have equity. And so you can probably sell it for more than what you owe and you can pay off all your debt. That's fairly safe. Um, now, if 2008, 2009 happens and all the homes dip, you know, by 20%, like it in... And everybody's trying to sell at the same time. Everybody's trying to sell at the same time. In Nevada, the houses dipped 50%. Um, you know, different markets, there's more risk. So you have to be aware of where you live. I would say it's safe to put 20% down and borrow 80% of the value of your primary residence. And that's all debt. So mm -hmm. I just said it's it's safe. This is my opinion. It's safe yep. to have 80% of the value of a home in debt. And that could be $150,000 of debt. But the reason for that right. is that there is equity there. Yep. There's value in that home. You're not just taking money out on a credit card and there's no security in that. And if you buy the TV, you can't return it for the same value. You can't sell it for the same value. So with a home, chances are the value of your home will grow over time. So that's why David is saying it's safe because the house is secure in the loan. So even mm -hmm. if you could not pay it, even if you had to sell it early, there is enough equity to handle that loss. Right. And still everyone, the bank and you can walk away unscathed. Yes, you'll take a mm. loss, but it's the risk you take. So it's risky only if things go really bad. But for the most part, it's probably going to work out well. Yeah. And you can manage that, hopefully, through your budget. That's the only reason you would want to make sure that if you're going to borrow, that it fits your budget, that it's not something that's going to stress out your financial plan month to month, and that payment's going to be hard to make. So as long as you have that, then it's a safe thing to do. That's right. Many of us have done it and have done well and and we've been able to you know to live in the home and not have the, the stress and everything that comes along with it that's right so i would say 20 percent for a personal residence um that means 80 percent being debt 20 percent down 80 percent debt. i think that's safe i a lot of people would say that putting 10 percent down and then 90 percent debt on a personal residence a lot of people would say that's safe i would say that you're bumping up against the line. It's a little less safe. <laughs> it's yeah, it's definitely <laughs> it's less <half> safe. safe. <laughs> and I would literally say I'd say it's about half as safe. Yeah. Um it, it doesn't mean that you're being crazy. It, honestly, 10% down is pretty good for most people. Um, but I mean, like I say, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm saying that most people don't put 10% down. So if yeah. you're doing that, you're actually doing better than average. Right. But I would still say that there's a little bit of thing. I'm a little bit nervous for you. I still feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because you'd never know about, you can't control all the factors. You can't control that your job is always going to be strong. You mm -hmm. can't control that you're always going to want to live in that area. You can't control that the house is going to go up in value. You can't control that there won't be any damage that comes to your property unexpectedly. And you can't control that the housing market or the economy as a whole won't go down. 
most of those things are not ever going to go wrong. Like, but there's at least six things that could go wrong <laughs> that could cause you to be in trouble. So if you only have 10% down and 90% debt, so what's a safe level of debt? It varies by cars. It varies by housing. It varies by consumer debt using credit cards. And that's where Leo and I would both say, hey, zero. Don't carry any debt on consumer items like TVs and food and vacations. Don't do that. Uh, so what's a safe level of debt? It's a great conversation to have. We could honestly, I could think of four or five other areas and we could talk for another 25 minutes. Yeah. But it's probably time. I think we've answered it. <laughs> Hopefully we have. Let's go to the next one, David. Should I be paying off debt or saving for retirement? Oh, wow. Um, Leo, that's a great one. What do you think? Should I be paying off debt <laughs> or should I save for retirement? Well, here's what I know. Most people are so motivated once they realize that debt is such a bad thing for them, when they have that financial awakening or the stress is too high, that they get so motivated to pay it off that a lot of times they just get kind of what Dave Ramsey says, gazelle intense and paying it off. And I love that because they're motivated. And I love that. Keep that up. I think it's important. However, if you get so intense about paying off the debt, what I've seen is people do several things wrong. One, they put the debt as a priority above everything else. And then they keep it there until they pay it off. So if life throws them a curveball and they have to go back and add a little bit to the debt, then it keeps them in the cycle where they're paying it off, something happens, they're paying it off. And a lot of times it's because they don't have an actual budget. So the first thing I would say, if you have a budget, then you should be paying that debt off using a debt snowball system, right? You know it's a payment you can make, it's X amount set aside for that, and now you can tackle it in a very systematic way that's gonna help you accelerate that debt. So I would say that has to be a, a, a no-brainer. You've got to do that. But then realize that you have only so much time to save for retirement. Mm -hmm. So if it's taking you five, eight years, 10 years to pay off all your debt before you can start retiring, even if you're in your mid-20s, you'll be in your mid-30s. You would have missed out on 10 years of compound interest, savings, and in, in retirement. Right. And so what I would say is find the balance where you're still saving something. Maybe you're matching your 401k and maxing that out, right? Maybe it's a 3% that your company's matching. At least put that in there. Do something because you are losing out on the compound interest. And you won't see those great returns until that, you know, year 32, 33, 34, 35. And those would be great years for you when you're saving for retirement, but only if you start early. That's right. Yeah. The longer you have to save for retirement, the, the more compound interest you get, um, the more dramatic your increases are going to be. So there's two quick philosophies here on should I uh, pay off debt first or should I save for retirement first or should I do some kind of combination? So the first philosophy is completely mathematical. And uh, this, this, is, this is, I think, really interesting. Uh, if you're paying 18% debt on your credit cards, 18% interest on your credit cards, you would not be earning 18% interest on your investments. Correct. 18%, the math of it is that paying off credit at 18% is the same as if you were earning 18% on an investment. Right. So, so mathematically, now we're still talking about the mathematical philosophy. Mathematically, it would make the most sense to pay off anything over 10% interest rate first, mm -hmm. hands down, mm -hmm. above all. This is if you're taking the mathematical approach. It gets a little bit trickier when you have a car loan at 5% or a student loan at 4% or 6%. 
because then you're wondering if you could earn 10% in the S&P 500, but you're wondering, is nothing's guaranteed, but that's that's what it's done over the last 100 years over if you have a long horizon. So you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I invest and then I pay off debt. And so A, you could take the mathematical approach. Many times the trap with taking the mathematical approach is that it, especially if you're married, one person will be more mathematical than the other, and mm-hmm. the other person um, won't be on board because you're not in unity about the decision. Uh, so you have to find unity no matter what. Uh, the other issue is that sometimes you get into the math and you forget the emotional toll that debt takes in your life. And so sometimes you're like, oh, well, I have a 0% interest rate or I have a 3% interest rate. Therefore, I'm going to start, I'm not going to pay it off at all. I'm just going to do the very minimum. And you let your debt hang out for years and years and years in your life. Mm-hmm. That's, just, that's just silly. I mean, now, this is, now my, my philosophy is competing with the math philosophy. Sorry. But that's one philosophy. The other philosophy is that you get emotional, you get intense, you pay off debt like nobody's business. Um, debt is an enemy. Debt's something you want to kill. There's some biblical uh, wisdom on not having debt in your life that I love, that I lean into. Uh, and you just you get mad at debt. And you say, I'm not going to owe anybody anything. I don't want my paycheck to go to anyone else else and you get emotionally invested, you come into unity with your spouse and you go tack it and you say, we're going to kill debt first. Um, I would say that Leo and I, we tend to take a, a unique combination of both philosophies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we always say our philosophy is that you always, you want to pay off debt aggressively, but you always are learning to save in the process. Mm-hmm. So whether it's retirement or it's your emergency fund or, you know, whatever, once you finished your emergency fund, building the next level emergency fund and then doing some retirement, we want you to pay debt aggressively, but we want you to learn that habit of saving the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's not only mathematical, it's not only an emotional approach. Um, we'll look at the math with you when we sit down with people. Sometimes we look at the math and we say, hey, you should weigh this out, but we're always going to have people paying down debt and then learning to save, even if they're being more aggressive on the debt side. Yeah, I love that. That's good. Uh, let's jump to the next one. So how much do I need for retirement? And this <laughs> is a tough one because, gosh, we're so different. Uh, you may live in different places where retirement on $50,000 could be really a, a decent lifestyle, where in other places, like if you live in San Francisco or California, um, you'd need at least 100000 a year to, to just be able to manage, right, to have a decent apartment or home, to have the basics, because cost of living is higher. So it's different for everybody. So you have to take that into account first and foremost. But really, it's, again, kind of going back what David said about the other question about having two different philosophy. Part of finances is, to me anyway, because I'm a logical person, I always think, well, do the math. Let's do the math first. Let's get the facts out and figure out what we really need. So in my situation with my wife, the way I look at retirement is I know what lifestyle I want to live. I know what it's costing me today. And if I assume a 3% or so inflation rate, I'm going to be about the same level I am today. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need to drive newer or better cars. Everything that I have is I'm satisfied with. So if I take that into account and say, what would it take for me to have a retirement that provides X amount per month? What do I need to do today or for the next 10, 15, 20 years to have that kind of income? And that's when you begin to say, okay, well, there are, and there are calculators out there. You don't have to be a mad genius. You just go on bankrate.com or retirement uh, financial planner websites, and you can plug in, I need this much income per month. I have this much saved. I'm putting this much aside every month. Is that enough? And it's going to tell you, hey, no, it's not enough. You need to add $300 to that. You need $400 a month, $600 a month. 
And that's going to give you, again, we're talking about passive investing here through the market, through mutual funds, through 401ks, IRAs. Another option, of course, is that you would buy a property. And that property, you can figure out the numbers and it'll tell you, well, you can make $1,200 a month after costs or $500 a month. All right. So if you need a $4,000 or $6,000 a month income, how many of those properties do you need? That's good. So the idea is that it's always coming down to what a lifestyle you live in today. Are you happy with it? Do you think you'll live a similar lifestyle 10, 20, 30 years from now? And if you do, then just figure out how much per month will you need and kind of work backwards. So really, I know that sounds simple. It's not. But there are a lot of tools out there to help you with that. And remember, as you get closer to retirement, the things you want to avoid is taking on any kind of debt. You don't want to have car debt. You mm -hmm. don't have mortgage debt. You don't have business debt. You want to be where you are literally not owing anybody anything. And now you can control your costs because you could always live on less if you need to. But if you have financial obligations, you can't cut those out quickly. Mm -mm. So you have to set yourself up for retirement. But that always comes down to a number and a preference of lifestyle. And if you consider those things and work your way through it, I think it's really worthwhile to do so, by the way. This is something my wife and I sat down years ago and did and felt like this is a lifestyle we want to be at. And when our lifestyle began to creep up, we downsized to a smaller home that was in our lifestyle because the other one started to creep up above what we were comfortable with. And I think anybody could do that. It's not hard. You just kind of look around and say, am I happy where I'm at? Do I need a better home? Do I need a bigger home? And if you take all those things into consideration, you can find a very, very clear answer to that question That's so great. that you can prepare for it. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting there, Leo. You said that you were content with your current lifestyle, mm -hmm. that you're content with the cars you drive, the home you live in, you know, how, what your life looks like. Maybe spending some time personally, each person listening, becoming content with their life. Like take some time to figure out what it would take for you to actually be happy mm -hmm. with where you are today and just say enough is enough. Like I'm grateful. I'm thankful for what I have. And, and if there's a few things you need to add to your life, then okay, like make a plan and go put those things in your life. But could you today say I'm content? Could you today say this is enough? I could I could live like this the rest of my life and be happy, and I could find my fulfillment not in adding to my lifestyle, but in adding people to my life, or in pouring into other people's life, helping other people, serving other people. Where can you find your joy and your contentment? And does it have to be in a bigger, more expensive life? Now, once you've figured out that number of just like you said of Leah, what what expenses do I need to live on? Um, take the number of your expenses in a year. And this is, this is your expenses, not including even your retirement savings. So you could take that out of the equation because once you're retired, you don't need to keep saving for retirement. You'll need your other savings, your baseline savings, your short-term savings, your emergency fund, but take your, take your normal expenses for a year and multiply that times 25 and that would be a good basic number to shoot for to have in retirement or by the time you reach retirement. Mm -hmm. Because I say times 25, <laughs> this comes from a rule of thumb that we used in our investing episodes, Leo, yep. that you want to live on 4% of your retirement funds. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said. You could do this with homes. You have multiple investment properties that are turning over you know, enough money for you to pay your monthly expenses. But this is a a market-based solution where you say, okay, if I have, um, if I want to live on $40,000 a year, 40,000 
times 25 is $1 million. I should have $1 million in retirement accounts so I can live on 4% of that, Mm -hmm. 40,000. And the money on your investments should either keep earning year over year or should break even, or even when they go down a little bit, it should stay in perpetuity where you can live off of that 40,000 for 20 to 30 years and maintain your lifestyle in retirement. Mm-hmm. So that's a quick mathematical way to tackle this. Yep. Um, and, and there's more complex ways. Like Leo said, there's great calculators online, but it's a quick mathematical way. But it starts with your heart. It starts with contentment. And it starts with you learning to find your value and joy in not just having more stuff, a bigger house and nicer cars, but in how you serve other people. So this is the next question. So it kind of goes deeper into what we're already talking about, which is how do I know how much money is enough for me? Another way that that I've tried to answer this question, and I continue to try to answer this question, is how much is enough? And I have to do that, honestly, uh, at least once or twice a year, uh, especially with big purchases. You know, if we, let's say we're getting to the point where my car is over eight years, well, it's 20 years old, but it's I've had it for eight years. And I'm at that point where I have to either put some money into it and keep it or sell it as is and buy something else. And so I have to ask myself, okay, well, will this keep me on track of where I'm going? Do I need more? And so I have to ask the question, how much is enough? Well, if I'm going to stick to what I've determined is enough for my wife and I, then that's going to impact those decisions I make. So I think it's important that we answer that question or we wrestle with that question as we live our lives, because it does lend the fact that, you know, we, we talked about this so many times that we live in a culture with the advertising, the marketing that's being done all the time, that we're impacted by that. We see new things. Uh, you know, the Apple iPhone, the new version just came out. And honestly, I have not gone to look at it. I didn't look at the news thing because I might want it. <laughs> so, so I'm not looking at it because I really don't need one, right? I don't need to spend $700 on a phone. I've got Sometimes- yeah, sometimes. Good phone. <laughs> yeah, you've got to avoid the marketing sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So, but again, every single time we make a financial decision, it challenges that question. I thought this was enough. Now, all of a sudden, I want a little bit more. And it's a good thing to continue to ask so that you can maintain the lifestyle that's proper for you and your family. And you can manage without the stress, without the pursuit of more, 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 which always leads to more hunger for more. So it's kind of a, uh, an important thing to wrestle with. And, and it's not something you do every day, but especially when those big purchases are on the horizon, you're thinking, okay, I can go here, I can go here. And that that's when you really have to go back and say, well, we've wrestled with this, how much is enough thing? Will this push us above it? And if it does, then let's not go there because we know that's not, it's more than enough. That's the way that I, my wife and I, Natalie and I have processed through it, but it is something we have to continue to do. We didn't just say, well, 50000 a year, that's all we need. Well, listen, 10 years from now, 50000 is not going to buy the same that it's buying today. So we have to be adjustable, but we have to stick with what we feel is our lifestyle. And, and we have a lot of control over that. And I think that's one of the ways to think about how much money do you need. It's always based on lifestyle. It's always based on what's making you happy. What is it that you desire? And you got to check to make sure that those desires are healthy. Yeah. And Ashley and I, what what we did is we started with our values and our personal value mm-hmm. systems. And we said, what do we, what do we really care about right. in life? That's good. And one of the things that we put down, I remember early on was we want to give 10% of everything that we earn, um, to our local church. 
And, and now I would use the, the language we want to return. We want to return it to the Lord, not give to the church, but actually return it to the Lord. It's a biblical value for us. And so um, that was in the forefront. That means of everything we earn, we need to be ready for the first 10% to mm-hmm. be handed to the Lord. Yep. Um, then we said we always want to be able to save a certain percentage. And let's say it's 10%. Okay. Uh, that means that of everything we earn, the first 20% is accounted for. And then we began to say, well, what do we value? We value being near family. Mm. We value being able to serve in church and having time and energy and margin. We value date night and spending time together. We value an annual vacation. Um, That's something I didn't grow up with heavily, uh, something I didn't value until I got married. Mm. And I learned the value of taking a time off and being with family. Uh, That was something I had to learn how to do. I wasn't comfortable with it. It wasn't comfortable for me to spend money on it. I didn't, (laughs) I wasn't there yet. I had to learn that. Yeah. And, but when we sat down together and came up with our values, that was a huge value for Ashley. And so we decided together in agreement that was going to be a part of our system. Um, we decided value-wise that our identity wasn't in our house or in our cars. And so, you know, we may have a little bit nicer car in some season, a little bit not, not as nice a car in other seasons. But we said if we had to live in a certain type of car, um, you know, handle a certain type of car over an extended time, okay, like that can be comfortable for us. Uh, we decided on a home that was near work and near family that we could put 20% down on and that we could afford the payment on. And once we began to build that first 10%, second 10%, that house payment, the the medium, middle range, if not even considerably low car payments, um, you know, the date night, the vacation, we put all those things on paper and we said, um, this is what we want to live on. Mm-hmm. And when we figured out that number, we said, wow, um, we could live on that. And we could live on one income because another one of our values was that we would spend a lot of time with our kids and pour in a good education. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we even built it where we said, hey, what if we lived on one income? And because of our value system of wanting to maybe homeschool or at least invest a lot of time and energy uh, into our kids, what if we what if we do that? And so we looked at our values first. That helped us build our financial plan. And then we agreed and said, this is probably enough. And then above and beyond that, we, we save a little extra. We have some projects that we've decided to add that we, in, that we think are important to both of us and that we want to pursue. Um, but then we also, we give. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, where can we be generous? Because we figured out what our lifestyle is. Um, we invest a little bit more for retirement. So we're going to have a little bit more margin and flexibility in the future. Uh, but we give more, we save a little more, and we have some projects that we're, we're spending on that, that then we consider those a huge blessing because it was something that we, that we said, hey, we're happy and we've had enough, we have enough here. So when we had a little extra margin and we could buy something beyond that, we're like, wow, we, we're, we're upgrading our cars just a little bit. We were happy here and now we get to be just super blessed at that next level of vehicle, not even crazy vehicles. It's just the next level. Right. So, so we found a, a happy point and then we have ongoing conversations of what our values are. And then we build from there. Yeah. I love that. I mean, if you start with values, it will lead you to a number, right? Cause if you want certain things and, and by the way, if you start with values and you find that your values are expensive, then you'll have to kind of come back and say, okay, well, I'd love to have that. But right now I, I can't like our income isn't there. And maybe that'll force you to say, we need to do better. We feel like we're supposed to be at a different level. That's okay. There's not a right or wrong here. Even the Bible doesn't dictate a specific lifestyle. So wherever your 
at wherever you desire to be, as long as it's based on values that matter, they're not just materialism and, and pride and, and, you know, power and all that, then you'll be okay. And, and, but, but I love that you guys started with values. We didn't start there, to be honest. We just kind of figured out what we liked. But in the end, it came down to what did we really value? We valued putting our kids through, through school and not having them take out loans. We valued, you know, giving them a nice wedding that they could remember and not have debt afterwards. So in a way, we made those decisions to live on less than what we were making in order to increase the values that we cared about. So I think that's a great place to start. Awesome. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode and that it's been helpful to even think through these questions. Uh, what is a safe amount of debt? You know, should I focus on debt or retirement? Uh, how much do I need? How much money is enough for me? These are big questions, and I hope it was helpful just to hear uh, two stewardship and money enthusiasts, you know, talk through this from our perspective. And I would recommend sharing this with somebody. Uh, everybody wrestles with these questions, so mm -hmm. take a minute, uh, you know, click on the share button, hit copy link, and text this to somebody, uh, or copy the link and put it on your Facebook or your Instagram, or take a picture of the Getting Money Right logo and slap it on Instagram and point people our direction. Uh, we would be so grateful for it. Yes. And uh, if you want to spend more time with Leo, Leo, where can people find you? They can go to leosable.com, and uh, there you'll find the show notes to this episode, other podcasts, of course, that we've recorded over the last couple plus years, and any other content. I have some free resources, some budgeting spreadsheets and things that you can use to help you manage your money. So feel free to take advantage of that. That's right. And if you want to come hang out with me, come over to stewardshippastors.com. Check out the book, Jesus on Money. And I'd love to see you there. And feel free to reach out to me through the contact places there at stewardshippastors.com and with the book, Jesus on Money. And we look forward to having you join us next time. So together, we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money, money right. One of the ways to think about how much money do you need, it's always based on lifestyle. It's always based on what's making you happy. What is it that you desire? And you got to check to make sure that those desires are healthy. Mm -hmm.